Hello and welcome to another edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. This podcast is proudly provided by Axon, helping dealers move more iron for almost 100 years. Find out more at axontire.com. Axon was started almost 100 years ago out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. It's that same passion that drives them today. With a vision for a better experience for both farmer and dealer, they set out to create a better way to move more iron. When you partner with Axon, you get immediate access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. Axon carries all major brands and sizes of tires, wheels, and tracks. From custom colors and sizes to fully customized wheels, you can have the solution for virtually any problem today's farmer is trying to solve. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast Markets with Sean Hackett. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com. Also, Tractor Zoom delivering insights. That's where you're going to find Tractor Zoom's iron comps. It's a great place to go see what's going on in the marketplace. They have about 500 different auction houses that that report what they what they see happening out there in, in individual auctions. So 500 different data points out there to track what's going on. So if you're interested in following what's going on there and really track and see those trend lines develop, go to tractorzoom.com, go over to Iron Comps, and if you decide to use that, you get a discount if you use Moving Iron at checkout. So like normal, I have Sean Hackett on here to come on and talk to me about what's going on in the marketplace. And Sean looks like uh, we're in the cycle of, Lose a dollar, gain a dollar. Lose a dollar, gain a dollar every week. And uh, this week is no different. We lost a dollar last week, so we're going to gain it all back this week. So I guess what's your reaction overall so far this week in the uh, the trade? Looks like we're definitely developed that that weather market is uh, is here to stay. Well, it is. And you know, and we talked about how the, this warmer, drier pattern for the back half of July, we've been talking about this for months, was going to yeah. occur. And it would probably lead to a final surge. You know, we've been calling a blow-off top. hasn't happened quite. It's happened in, let's say, Canola. It's starting to happen in oats. It might be happening in Minneapolis wheat, but it hasn't happened in corn and beans yet. But we had this idea that we would have this final surge in the end of July before we felt the drought cycle would break in August. And, and the weather pattern is looking pretty much on target. The, the heat dome is moving more easterly, getting it over Iowa again, maybe western Illinois. You know, the dry weather is going to recede to the southeast some. And so the market's starting to... Now view the glass as half empty. Last week it was half full. And, um, you know, that's, um, as you said, that that's kind of the, the market's been oscillating between, well, the good, well, it's so good over here, but it's really, and it's, and it's having a hard time discerning what does all that mean. Then the USDA kicked the can down the road, as they always do in July, and said, we're not going to yeah. make any decisions right now. We'll worry about that in August. So that doesn't help cl- clear anything up. Yeah. So... We still hold to the idea, and by the way, I have no idea when the USDA will get around to saying it. We never know when they're going to come to the truth, but we still believe when it's all said and done, this weather pattern, how we think it's going to finish out, we still think corn yields, as an example, you know, it's still, we still believe it's going to be in this low 170 area for the national average, 172, kind of like last year, a good crop, but a little short. Ultimately... 
the USDA will come to that conclusion. And when we, when we run the various numbers of, of what demand could look like, you know, we're, we're going to sit around a billion to a billion two, which is where we are right now. So we think ultimately corn is going to end up in the same place it currently is. Now, maybe is it going to take until January for the USDA to uh, let us know this? It's possible. I, I think they'll get to the answer sooner. But um, we, so, so, so what does that mean? That means that uh, what's probably going to happen is that we're going to have this typical nosedive in August when weather improves, harvest pressure, I haven't sold, I got to get out, and, you know, that, that we're going to get that. We have to get that trade out of the way. And then we're setting up for a really, really interesting buying opportunity uh, late summer, early fall, as the market comes to rationalization, like they did last year. Oh, my gosh, this crop is, is a little short. And I think that's the pathway. One more surge here. Producers, get you know, start selling, you know, get yourself well sold that you need to. And then the livestock producer, get ready for a good feed buying opportunity late summer, early fall. And then we get into the winter time and all the stuff we'll be talking about on your show, on your, um, at your conference, that what's coming that's going to lead to a, 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 we think, a pretty wild, uh, you know, pretty wild weather scenario as we move into the spring, summer of next year. So, so um, while volatility can be frustrating, um, it also allows for smart, it also allows for opportunities to do something smart. And so I think both sides are going to get to do something smart. The producers can get a chance to sell something here, and the livestock producers can get a chance to buy something here down the road just a bit. So we're looking forward to making those recommendations uh, as, they, as they come along. So. so let's talk about North and South Dakota for a while. They've made the news here. We've, you know, we've, we've heard plenty of people talk about what's going on up there and even in, into you know, uh, western Minnesota and northwest Iowa. Um, you start taking a look at how dry that is up there and – Roughly forty percent of the crop, corn crop, gets produced up there. Is that is that right? Between those those four areas, North South Dakota, Minnesota, something I like that. I think it might be the acreage. Acreage, okay, acreage, right? So yeah, I don't think it's forty percent of the production. But I think forty percent of the acres. But of course, they don't produce the kind of yield they right. do. I, the way I think it works, if I recall, I think if you take Nebraska, Iowa, Illinois. In Indiana, I believe they represent seventy percent of the corn production. Yeah, I think that's correct. And I believe yeah. the Dakotas represent, you know, like that twenty to thirty percent. You know, and then of mm -hmm. course there's outliers in the south and stuff. Right. But I, I, but the acreage is, I think, are correct about the acreage. Yep. So when 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 the USDA is talking about the acreage, most of those acres that were um, added, you know, were all now areas that are just com completely burning. Who knows? It could be a zero in, in some right. of those areas. You know. Yep. Okay, so now you start looking at those areas and the amount of, of drought, especially in, in the Dakotas. They've had a, had about a year-long drought now, it feels like, um, and it's gotten significantly worse over time. And you start looking at what's going on there. Not More importantly, with um, what's going on with the corn and bean portions of, of the market. But the other thing that's kind of being pushed to the back burner here a little bit is the spring wheat and the winter wheat that, that's up there right now. That's That's either didn't come up or struggling right now and those different things. So as you look at the wheat market based on, you know, what's what's to go left in, in Nebraska, we just started kind of cutting in my, my area. So um, Nebraska, North and South Dakota, as you take a look at those areas and on the wheat run, what are your thoughts there as we as and how that's going to affect the overall wheat market? 
Overall, the wheat complex is, a, you know, especially the winter wheat's on a different cycle because we harvest, uh, you know, and, and, and so we're, we're beyond the harvest pressure. We're moving to the post-harvest period where we tend to see prices improve. We've accepted whatever whatever the crop is or it isn't. You know, we whoever had to sell has sold. You know, we, we're kind of gone through that. So we think wheat prices, you know, there can always be a little downside heading into uh, into harvest pressure for August uh, for our corn and soybeans. But we don't think there's a whole lot of downside left in winter wheat. We think we're on the other side of the other side of it. The fact that we have such a shortage of higher quality wheat, a la Minneapolis spring wheat, especially in the, and also in the Canadian prairies, and the fact that the winter wheat crop, KC winter wheat crop, was lower quality in general, even though the volume was was seemed to be okay, you know, we we're going to have, we, so, so what, what, where we think we're at is we're going to, we have a high quality wheat protein shortage. At the same time, if we're correct about corn, we're not going to have a whole lot of corn again, which means feed wheat, lower quality feed wheat is going to be in very high demand and it's going to be wanted. It's going to be needed. So that's going to, and at these lower level of price, you know, we just think the buyers are going to buy all day long here. So we like the wheat market here. We think that the wheat market overall is, you know, in terms of winter wheat, it's like bottomed out, carving out a low, going sideways. Spring wheat, you know, is, a, is just a. It's still. It's, we don't. We still don't believe it's priced in. What has happened, or what is still going to happen with these, the weather is still to come. We still think at some point there's going to be a blow up top. If you look at a chart of canola, which is the Canadian prairies, uh, one of the big crops in Canadian prairies, you'll see that. It was meandering, meandering, all, and all of a sudden, in four days, it put like a dollar thirty on the market in four limit up days in a row to place the blow off top. And then it look, now it looks like it's, it's, you know, kind of starting to come back down. We still think that's going to happen in spring wheat. We're going to get that final acceptance of what has happened, and we're going to go boop, 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 boop. And within four days, we're going to go from 870 to 10 something and place the blow off top. Um, so, so we think that's still out there for spring wheat. And once it happens, then it happens. And eventually, you, you price it all in and whatever happens, you move on. Um, but, but we still think the market has yet to fully accept and trade what is looks like it could be the worst crop conditions we've ever seen. It, it, it looks like we could actually see conditions possibly worse than 1988, which was a half a crop. So, so, so with the winter wheat market, probably going to eventually do that soon. I mean, I don't think this is like a month away. Probably going to do it here next two, three weeks. That should provide a lot of support for the winter wheat market too. Um, because you know everyone's going to look for how can I use some of this KC higher quality wheat? Can I mix it in? Can I do something to try to work it out? You know, and believe me, you can do a little bit of that. So we're pretty constructive of the wheat market. We think the wheat market's bottom usually bottoms first, then corn and soybeans bottom out later, and then the whole complex goes up later. So that's we, we think wheat's actually in a pretty good spot. If you're a buyer of of wheat of winter wheat, we think this is a good time to be starting a a cash buy program. We wouldn't be wanting to wait too much longer for for much much lower levels at this point. So, yeah, I've I've noticed that throughout this wheat run here that it seems like the bushels are there. Plenty of bushels out there. Bushel average is 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 kind of trending like we would see, but 
it's the quality that's come along with it is not is not there um, uh, as widespread as as uh, we'd seen in the past. So, wheat market definitely will have some opportunities to to take off and run. As you take a look at what's going on in the soybean market, soybeans have um, it seems like there's there's uh, you know the corn the corn kind of gets the was taking the 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 headlines right now when you start looking at things, but the soybean market is kind of that the sleeper out there when you start looking at how carryouts are playing out and, and then what does that look like moving in um, to harvest and, and, and what potential crop might look like as well. So I guess take a look at the soybean market and give me your reaction to that. Well, the problem with the soybean market is that we had this record crop in Brazil. Right. So, you know, that takes any scarcity trade off the table while they're exporting as much as they possibly can, which they are, of course. Right. Then you have the African Swine Fever Act 2 that's occurred in China where they had to liquidate a massive amount of, of hogs again. And you know now the, piglet pro- now the piglet prices are going through the roof because they got to rebuild again. And dry whey, which they use to feed the piglets, is going through the roof again. So you can see they're, they're going to have to refire the cycle up, but that also keeps demand for soybeans and bean meal crush. I mean, soybean crush and bean meal down for a little while because they just don't have as many you know, mature hogs to feed. But then, of course, guess what? <laughs> Later in the year, when they, when all those piglets become more, much more mature, and they, then you're going to have this massive feed increase again. So we're kind of in this zone with the demand side. If you look at the balance sheet, it says there's no carryout. Well, if, that were the, if, if the market believed that, we'd be at $18 soybeans, but it's not because I think it realizes we might have a demand problem. It's possible Chinese overbought given what's happened with the African swine fever. So, so that's, that, that's the, this delicate balance that, that the market's trying to figure out is how, how much will the Chinese imports be down during this period and how good of a crop can we have? In the end of the day, they're going to have to come for it anyway. It's a timing factor. Do they come for it now or are they going to wait until you know the beginning of the year? So what we think is, um, we think that the market will probably have want to price in a little bit of a scarcity trade here into the end of the month. They're going to do, they're going to say just in case August is really bad, you know let's let's put let's give ourselves some weather premium. So it wouldn't surprise us if we put a dollar on the soybean the November soybean market as a what if August turns out hot and dry. Now, that, by the way, we don't believe that's going to happen, but the market might just decide, you know what, let's be on the safe side. Let's put a dollar on and, just in case, and if it turns out the weather's good, we'll take that dollar right back off. So that's kind of where we think we're at. Still in the same idea of a final blow-off top here, but we think the demand side is holding the market back, and this huge crop out of Brazil is holding the market back right now. Yep. So here's one that, that we don't talk about much, but you do put a report out about it, and and that that is dialed in strictly to this, and it's dairy, the dairy market, and what that looks like. So the dairy market right now, if you'd go back and take a look, <clears throat> take a look at what's going on. There is, uh, it's kind of fluctuating there. It's, it seems like it's there's some pressure there. You'll you'll see some run up and some run down, very much like you see here. But it's kind of hovering in that. You know, we've come off some eighteen dollar, eighteen and a half dollar highs, and now we're down back into the seventeens. I guess if you take a look at the dairy market, what's going on there is some of this kind of you know high feed and those kind of things. Are they starting to play into that dairy market and how that how those uh, prices are, are are playing out here? 
Remember, we, went, we got into that 19s right there in yep. May, and then the, then the government said, we're, we're going to end the food box program. We're not going to buy cheese anymore or other dairy products. We're just going to walk away. So the market said, oh, and it had a big sell-off. Right. Because it's ha it has to get back to a real market where there's a real buyer, not a, a, a phony buyer. In the, not going to say a phony buyer, but you know, a non-market-driven buyer. Right. Okay? So we had this big crash into the engine. Now, our smart money algorithm that we utilized capital flows gave us a strong buy signal a couple of weeks ago, and the market's actually rallied a dollar off the lows already. Uh, we're starting to see them. And so what's been happening is that, you know, these low prices, you know, producers are losing money, especially out west, losing a lot of money, like one, two, three dollars uh, per hundred weight money because mm -hmm. um, the feed's too high, the price is not good enough. The very, very high heat that we've been having consistently out west has been knocking production off because it's been stressing the cows too much. Um, and so all that leads into lower production and the idea of liquidating, uh, dairy cows for the, uh, you know, for the hamburger meat market, that sort of thing. So we're, we're starting to get production to come down. And of course, demand, real demand's good. It's good because we reopened every food service. You know, I mean, demand for dairy products is very, very strong, but we, we just had to take this artificial purchaser out of the way and re-equilibrate the market. So we're pretty constructive. We think given the weather that we still see, which is really hot out west. I mean, you, idle in 10 degrees, you know, big dairy mm -hmm. producer, you know, they're not going to, it's, it's a big problem. So we think we can have a nice rally here in August before, you know, we might be setting ourselves up for a kind of a, a late summer top here in the, in the dairy market before we might roll over uh, into the fall. So we think if you're in the dairy business, if you're a producer and you've been kind of struggling here, I, we think you're going to have a good opportunity to sell here as we move into August. And, uh, and, and like I said, we're kind of setting up or preparing our dairy customers to you know, get ready for that marketing opportunity. But it should be, should be a good run here. Um, and we don't think we're done yet. We think we still have quite a, a good runway. We think we get back to the 19s again, Casey, before we might you know, push against uh, that upper, upper resistance and, and may, may price this weather production scenario and if feed prices come down as we're expecting here in the fall then you won't need as high a price to keep the dairy guy making some money here so okay all right good stuff there so let's talk about the cow to mark what's going on there it's kind of bouncing around all the place between uh what china's been doing with hogs even though they're having the they've kind of fessed up about this afs thing but they're still buying you know, pork and those kind of things, and, and you're still seeing some some beef exports go that way. As you look at what's going on in that that protein uh, complex, what's your thoughts there? I mean, <clears throat> what's interesting is that once ASF hit in China, it forced consumers there to eat more chicken, to eat more beef, to eat more fish. And quite frankly, said, you know, we kind of like this. <laughs> right. They're never going back to eating as much pork as they did before. They will never go back as a, per, as a per capita basis to eating as much pork as they did before. Permanent demand loss, permanent demand gain. Mm -hmm. So there is, we, they, they've never gotten their hands around the beef shortage there. That, that continues to, to rage on, and that's not going to you know, go away. But the domestic market, because we've been dealing with this throughfoot, this throughfoot problem, throughput problem where we, we can't bring animals through the packing houses at the rate we want, it kind of takes the export market off the table as a driver because you could double exports, but if you can't bring any more animals through, then it, all it does is it, 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 it increases the beef price maybe, but it doesn't, it, you can't, 
It's like it, it, it's it's a it's a cap. So we you know the demand for beef is fantastic. It has been fantastic. It continues to be. In fact, we're not satisfying demand because we're not bringing the animals through. So one of two things have to happen. Either the packing houses got to get the capacity up. We keep hearing they're not going to do that much. They're going to just keep it the way it is. The JBS conference call we were on not too long ago when they did their earnings conference call, they have just no interest in doing too much. It's going to keep it the way it is. So, so what that means is in order to get the, either, either they just have to run these plants more efficiently, which they will, or we got to get the supply down. We got to get the animals down. We got to get the weights down. And when you look at the cattle on feed report, when you look at the weights, and when you look at what's going on with the drought out west, fertility cycle, what we think is going to happen with the winter, extremely cold, extremely long, very, very, you know, tons of snow, blizzard conditions. All this says is that when we get to the spring and summer of 22, though the animal populations are going to be way down, way down. Production, beef production is going to be way down. And what that means is, Regardless of the packing house's current capacity, there's not going to be enough animals, and they're going to start bidding them up to bring them through because the demand is going to still be very, very strong. So it sets up a really exciting price opportunity situation to the upside later this year into the spring of the summer. In fact, we think it's possible you know, we could be making all-time new highs on cattle price when we get to the summer of next year, like we, we could take out the highs of 2014. We, we think we could be setting up in a wild situation, which is not uncommon. It's not uncommon for that to happen when you have a, a big surge in feed prices to have that start to happen, you know, a little bit down the road. So, so, so for those producers who are struggling and have been struggling, you know, um, we don't think there's a lot of downside here in cattle. Um, you know, we think that we think the market can grind higher in the near term, but keep keep an eye on those deferred prices. Keep your powder dry. You know, let, let those. You know, we wouldn't do a whole lot of forward marketing. I guess is what I'm getting at. Um, we were pretty excited that if you can get through this patch, Casey, you're going to be doing really, really, really well in 2022. 2022 will be the year of the cattle producer. And it hasn't been that for a long time. So we're, we're yeah. excited about that. And we're just trying to make sure our customers can get through and survive and get to that point. Just like the dairy people, you know, a year ago that were, if you could just get through, better times are coming. And, of course, they did. We see the same thing happening for cattle. We're pretty excited about it. Right on. Okay. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a tough run for the cattle guy for the last couple of years here. So uh, we'll keep that keep that in mind we'll keep watching that as that moves forward all right last but not least um the one thing that i've been hearing more about on on the uh, financial shows and you know talking about you know the cpi report came out whatever it was tuesday this this week or wednesday this week um cpi report came out and you know obviously they're looking at inflation those kind of things but the i've, I've heard more about a hundred dollar oil in in the last seven days and i've heard about in the last seven years so i guess as you take a look at that oil market what are your thoughts about that potential for for oil to really take off and run up to that 100 bucks and uh how much i guess how much inf inflationary influence do you see there well first of all just remember that inflation's relative to what it was a year ago right. so you're right exactly a complete collapse in price right so it's really a distorted view. What's the true price versus what it was prior to that? It's not setting 13-year highs. I mean, 
I'm not saying there's not some price increase, there's not some inflation in the system. Of course there is, but it's not six months from now, it's going to be very, very, you know, much, much, we're going to keep going lower, 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 because we're going to be comparing, you know, prices to as prices start to rebound, you know, we're going to be comparing it to a higher level. So it makes good headlines, but it, it really isn't quite as inflationary as everyone is suggesting. Um, now, a year from now, if we're showing those same numbers against today's prices, then that would be really, really worrisome. But don't, you know, we, we're not sure we're going to necessarily see that. But having said that, the crude oil price, it's always a geopolitical chess match, in our view. It's always been, what's the game plan? What's the big picture? So when you went back, when the Saudis decided to flood the market with oil and crush it from 60 to 30, and then we went to minus 35 when we had the virus, that was a political, geopolitical gamesmanship. That was, that was a chess match, and they decided they were going to crush the market to try to hurt the U.S. fracking producer. Right. And now they've decided they want to, and the policy has been, we're going to hold the oil back because we want the price to go higher. And I'm, I'm not, you know, and now we're here at 70, 75, and we've, can, we've I'm not sure we're experts on uh, Middle East geopolitics. <laughs> Um, we, we do our best yeah. to understand what these guys are trying to do and what the whole game plan is with Russia and everything else in China. But I don't think they want the U.S. fracking producer to make all kinds of money and start, uh, you know, adding rigs again and getting production going again. And I think they want us to stay depressed. And I don't think they can let the, the oil price get much beyond 70 or 75 before we will. We don't need the banks to loan money to the oil producers at this price. They, they'll self-fund themselves. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if I'm correct about that, then we're, there's a cap here. I think we're capped at 75. I think they will say whatever they have to say, produce whatever they have to produce to keep the price capped at 75 or less. I'm not saying they want 30. But I don't think they want it over 75. So I, 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 given that I'm correct about that assessment, I think the upside in crude oil for right now, I don't think is very good. Uh, because I think they have tons of spare capacity. They could turn it on anytime they want. And they could drop this market 10 bucks anytime. They could just like that, it's down $10. So mm -hmm. with that in mind, you know, of course, I could be wrong with that geopolitical view, or something, or something else could happen. There could be, you know, some terrorist attack or something. But I really don't think there's a whole lot of upside to 75. And if you've been looking at the chart, Casey, 75 and it backs off. 75, and now it just backed off again. It yeah. just seems like there's a wall at 75. So I think I might be right about what I'm saying. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Last time they did that. Russia said something to the effect of "We're not going to do what you say, and we're going to we're going to do our own thing." And they're like, "Oh, are you? Okay, <laughs> right. Let's see how well that works out for you." <laughs> so yeah. Well, I know is that they start seeing the U.S. rigs going up, and they start seeing production starting to turn back up. They're not. They don't want that. They want. They want to keep keep us down. They don't want us to be the largest producer in the world and and energy independent. That, that does not work for them. Quite frankly, yeah, it's so. bad for their business model. It's, yeah, uh, it's, it's, their it's business model one. gets gets yeah. blown apart. Yeah, <laughs> tough for their business model for sure, for sure. All right, well, yeah. good stuff as usual, Sean. Folks want to reach out to you and get some more information about uh, what you've got going on. You've been a busy man here of late. You think you put out about three reports this week, and all of them are chock full of great information. 
uh, folks wanted to see some sample reports or just ask you some questions, what's the best way to do that? Our website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com, all kinds of information on there, interviews, white papers, sample downloads. Um, we just recorded a podcast yesterday, as you know, Casey, where yep. we kind of laid out some of our thesis about second half weather, La Nina returning, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of things we'll be talking about at your conference. So if anyone wanted to take a look at that podcast, uh, we think it's a kind of really sets the right framework for what to expect uh, with um, you know South American growing conditions, early start to the winter, a lot of things that we've been talking about in your program for a long time. We'd be happy to send it to them if they uh, email us at Sean, S-H-A-W-N, at Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. We'd be glad to send it to them and get them up to speed with what our research and climate algorithm is saying. Right on. Yeah, folks, reach out for that. That's good information there, man. There's a lot of, a lot of great stuff wow, that, that's in that podcast. I uh, gave it a listen to the day, and it's, uh, it's, it'll, it'll make you think. So, Sean, reach out to Sean there at uh, what's your email one more time, Sean? Sean, S-H-A-W-N as in Nancy, at Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors, with an S, dot com. Right on, man. All right, Sean, well, thanks for being on the podcast, bud. Thanks, Casey, appreciate it. Right on. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's where you're going to find the latest editions of the Moving Iron Podcast. Also, go to movingironllc.com. That's where you're going to find the entire library of the Moving Iron Podcast, as well as any blog posts I have out there. Also, you'll find all the information for the Moving Iron Summit that Sean's talked about here in this podcast. It's great information, gathering a place to go see what's going, you know, kind of what's going to happen for next year across a bunch of different segments, as well as what, uh, you know, great place to network with other folks, too, so for across all, all the spectrums of the equipment business. So if you're interested in doing that, go to the navigation bar, click on Moving Iron Summit, and all the information is there for the agendas, how to book rooms, um, you know, registration uh, information, all that stuff's there. So uh, check that out, and uh, you'll get all the information you need. And uh, you get to see Sean's bio and his his pretty face if if you haven't seen it yet. So you're gonna <clears throat> be well worth your trip to go check that. Need out. to talk to my wife. <laughs> 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 so yeah check that out if you need more information about that hit me up at moving iron podcast and moving iron podcast.com and i will get you all the information that you need so with that i am casey seymour sean hackett let's go with some iron folks out you want to have a meaningful competitive advantage to help sell more equipment whether you represent the sales parts or management department of an implement dealership there's a surprising amount of complexity when it comes to tire wheel and track technology let axon worry about that so you can get back to supporting your customers Axon has leveraged years of experience to create a streamlined process that gives you a proven path to help today's grower and sell more equipment. The roots of their organization go back almost 100 years to the invention of the rubber tractor tire. Supporting agriculture is the number one driver of Axon from product development through sales and service. To find more or become an Axon dealer, head over to axontire.com. Moving iron in the 21st century Hard working people working hard